Hi everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Talking Jack with me Claire and my twin sister Megan. On today's episode we are going to be discussing all things British monarchy. So we're going to be delving into the history of the British monarchy, who our current royal family are and the positives and negatives of the royal family, you know looking into their heyday and then looking into the latest sort of problems and controversies that seem to have plagued the royal family of late and yeah just really asking the question whether we should continue with a British monarchy or should we not. This episode just due to the length of it we're going to split into two. So in part one we looked at the history of the British monarchy and some of the positives surrounding the royal family as well as a bit of background about our current royal family so if you haven't already please make sure to check out part one today's is part two and we're going to continue and start by uh, reflecting on some of the positives that we've mentioned surrounding the royal family's um, celebrity status and then we're going to sort of talk about some of the controversies about that and different aspects about our current royal family which have brought to light some new um, arguments again about the relevancy of the royal family and then we'll look into how much they bring to the UK um, economy and how much um, we spend on the royal family and see if we can uh, come to a conclusion about whether we think we should abolish the monarchy or if we really should be keeping the monarchy. So, yeah, let's get into part two. Talking Jack. Dissecting the everyday. So... Yeah, I mean, the only thing I really want you to add to what you were saying about maybe um, the whole thing about uh, a commoner marrying into the royal family, um, you know, via Diana and Kate, was that I guess at the time of Diana marrying into the royal family, she was a novelty. She was sort of like seen as like the first time that a so-called commoner woman or common woman may have, you know, married into the royal family. And that let sort of so-called normal people start to imagine themselves as, as, as marrying a prince or, you know, moving up within the royal family seemed like something that was kind of like attainable. And then Kate comes along that's already been done because Diana, look how that turned out. A lot of people have turned against the royal family because they really like Diana, saw the way that she was treated and felt, oh, look how they treat like, you know, commoners or, you know, normal people or these really innocents, if you know what I mean. And, you know, you've got Kate who, even if you say, you know, even if she's not really like from, I don't know, sort of sort of background you know you've just got the setting of her being in like you know St Andrews it's quite a prestigious university and she does come from this middle class family that people are a lot more aware of class by the time Kate is marrying into the royal family with William mm-hmm. um, so I do think that there's a big difference in like the public opinion of the royal family between when Diana first enters and then when Kate enters and it's very much influenced by how Diana left. Um, True. But yeah, that's I really was just thinking, 
yeah no just when you were saying that I was just thinking as well that like although in my opinion like when you read about their backgrounds they're not like really really different but perhaps the way Diana either was or presented herself as this innocent Kate didn't and again it's a whole narrative that I could have a whole other podcast on that a lot of people get intimidated by determined women and I think Kate came across as that she was like I want to go to St Andrews Uh, well this is how you know they've portrayed it if it's true how they met I want to meet a prince I'm going to meet a prince and I am going to make myself a royal no matter what and Diana was like I don't even know if I want to be a royal but I've just been forced to be a royal and I've been basically like forced to marry this prince and so maybe like I don't know if it's necessarily the whole like fairy tale thing but I think people maybe just were like oh Diana was just to be innocent victim Kate asked for this Kate wanted to be in it we have no sympathy for Kate if anything goes wrong with Kate she asked for it that kind of maybe yeah I know and I think as well like I don't know I just remember sort of maybe when I was sort of aware of the royal family because I was more aware of it through like William and Kate's marriage was that you know like Kate was at university and she studied like art history or something and I think at that time people were a bit like you know it's that whole like this is what I mean about like that now the debate of the royal family is is seen a lot of the time through wealth and class and you could sort of look at her like oh you just went to university what's she going to do with that degree oh nothing that was pointless she's just done it because she's able to do it you know she doesn't need to worry about going to uni to actually get a career and then she marries this prince and it's just like easy life sort of thing and then also I think I was just going to add that I'm pretty sure that with Diana obviously it's really famously um related to her death as well is that she was hounded by the press you know she was constantly in the papers she really wanted to get away from the press she absolutely hated the press and that seeped into uh, Harry's decision obviously to leave the royal family but I think at the time people one I think I think it's quite odd because I feel like it's like this conflict in the public whether they're aware of it or not that on the one hand I feel like the public really took to Diana because she was constantly in the press and because they could easily have access to her, you know, through these, through uh, videos or, you know, on the news or interviews or photos or whatever. And then, but at the same time, they really sympathised with her because they were like, oh, what a shame on this poor girl who just wants to live her life and you've got the press coming after you all the time. Yet they're still willing to read these magazines and if the, if the public weren't reading them and constantly, you know, buying into it, then the press would be like, oh, there's no money in Chasing Diana, but there was money because people wanted to see what she was wearing and, you know, what she had, had to say and all of that. But then you look at Kate and you think Kate was a bit more evasive with the, with the press. She didn't really, you couldn't really get photos of Kate. They were quite rare when you got photos of Kate. It not in, They were not common in the same way that they were with Diana. So she kind of like, you know, made steps to really hide from them or like evade them. Or she was like, she would vocally like say to the press that like she's not giving an interview or she's not going to you know have a say on anything um that was going on um between William and Kate and the royal family and everything and I wonder then if that same conflict was there with with the with the public and this time they were kind of like well I'm not getting my payoff from like like yeah, I could say, oh, that is a shame on Kate hmm. that she's being hounded by the press. But at the same time I'm not getting 
any payoff for my sympathy because I'm not going to see anything. If you know, if if you know what I mean. So it's kind of like this strange sort of dichotomy between like wanting to see these 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 royals, but also being like, no, they are entitled to a private life. Kate was really like on the on the sort of battleground of that because people were a bit like, mm, she's a bit privileged, she's a bit stuck up, she's a yes. bit kind of like has everything easy to her and she can't even just like be in a photo but then at the same time people would be like oh but that is a shame that she's been photographed so it's very strange the 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 sort of relationship that the public have with the royal family through the press I agree I agree and I think Kate and a lot of people say that she is the perfect perfect addition to the royal family like you can have asked for a better person to be in the royal family and she's almost reminds me a bit of the queen always poised She's always proper. She presents herself the right way. Like you say, she knows when to open up to the press and she knows when to not. It's often the latter. But much like the Queen, you won't get a candid interview with the Queen and you will unlikely get a candid interview with Kate. She's just, like, she just knows exactly what to do. And do you think that... Sorry. No, carry on. I was going to ask, do you think... I don't know enough about it, really, to to say definitively but do you think that the public started to warm towards her more when she had children yeah I think so it's like she gave like you say she gave them something to to look at to be interested in to be invested in it's like well if you were going to be part of it like then give us give us kids I know that sounds really warped for the public to say that but it's like you say it's that awful warped relationship that we have with the media that we have with celebrity and as a byproduct that we have the with the royal family and if we were used to getting access with all access this sort of sense of all access with Diana and then we didn't get it with Kate it's like well we need something and I think they did warm her more when when she had kids but then Again, you look at Meghan Markle and it's like she didn't give us anything. <laughs> like she didn't give the public nothing. So like she didn't give them the proper princess that they wanted, you know, like Kate, nor did, and, well, I suppose she, but then she gave them kind of what Diana had. But because she was taking someone away from the royal family, it was like, oh, how dare you? Like, that's too much. It's a very strange relationship. So it kind of. But also, I think the thing with, sorry, I don't know if you're going to um, say more on it, but I think the thing between Megan and Kate in terms of how they were viewed by the public, and I know there's a lot about, um, you know, people being against her, one, because she's American, mm-hmm. uh, and also racism because she's of mixed race, um, which is shocking. And I think it's really bad if that's what people, why people don't take to her. But I also think within the British public, there's something about, um, who Kate and Meghan have married the public seem to have this real affection for Harry I don't think people ever really had it with William because they were always aware that William is the older one so he is the one that's most likely to be king and there was always this sort of rogueness this kind of like accessibility this likability um, vulnerability that you saw with Harry and I think people really took to him so they were a bit like just how you were saying, you know, you're taking Harry away as well. Whereas I don't think people are, at the time, maybe like you know when um, Kate and William. Well, I know Kate and William were a big thing when they were dating, but very different to how Harry is. Harry's seen more as like the sort of playboy of like <laughs> the the royals, and 
um, yeah, I think the public were a bit more like protective of him and and wanted to make sure that he stayed in the royal family, stayed in Britain, and that he was with the so-called right person. You know. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, and it kind of ties in nicely to where I was going to go with the problems and controversies that have then surrounded the royal family and a lot of them come down to PR and press and, and media sorry coverage um, and how they're presented you know it starts with like the whole Wallace Simpson marriage that was really controversial at the time for what marrying outside of aristocracy perhaps or marrying American or not marrying who you were supposed to I can't recall who Wallace Simpson was supposed to marry that's so bad um but yeah then you had like Diana's death obviously and then the whole big thing about how she was treated with the royal family and how Prince Charles was having affairs with Camilla and then she was having an affair or maybe not an affair but she had another lover hi then... can I just in in interrupt there yeah <laughs> please I just wanted to clarify the Wallace Simpson affair it, she's not the royal she's the it, she she married a royal I know I know I just can't well, remember she, who she married well she was a she was an American socialite and yes. she married um the Duke of Windsor, so I think it was That's the it. he was a king at the time, so it was Edward the oh my god, I always get it wrong. Um, seven, seven, no, I can't be seven, no, oh, 12. I don't know, she married some king anyway, and um, <laughs> oh god, and uh, you come yeah. here for the facts, I know, eh? god's sake, and um, he divorced to to marry her. And that forced him to add to uh, abdicate because they shouldn't. They weren't supposed to divorce, right? And yes. that's also why that's why that's why Megan was likened to that situation because yes. Megan had previously married before she married Harry, um, and King Edward was the great. Wait, who was born? He was the great grandson of Queen Victoria. I see. Thank you for clarifying that because I couldn't recall the royal still that can't she married. The, um, what number numerals. is it? Well, it's the V and then it's three lines. So is it not the eighth? Oh, I was thinking of Henry. So I was like, you can't be eight. But he said one idiot. Of course it's eight. God, sorry. Carry on. That's okay. Um, yeah, then we had obviously like Prince Charles remarriage, and again that would have been controversial because I I think Camilla was married before um, Prince Charles, um, and then that's, you why had... the, that's one of the reasons why the Queen supposedly didn't want Charles to marry Camilla. You know, when they were younger, before he met yes. Diana, and they cut his yes. to then marry Diana. That was it. Thank you. Um, so yeah, even before then, they were still laden with controversies. Controversies that they've made themselves because of archaic traditions that we put on the monarchy or that they put on themselves. Um, and then you have Kate Middleton marrying into royalty, which before I wouldn't have put as a controversy, but just in light of what we've said with the public opinion, it may be. Just because she perhaps orchestrated that herself. Um then you have that whole controversy. What was it with like Kate Middleton's like topless photo or something? 
It's not. It's not what happened when she was in university. It was like they went on holiday once she was married to Prince William, and then the press followed them and they took pictures of her on the beach. Don't know if you recall that. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um. Yeah. So I, I'm just sort of reeling off the like problems and controversies with the royal family. Um. And again, that's again, it's an it's uh issue with the press and the royal family of late have had loads of issues with the press and the media um then there was the whole thing with prince harry going into rehab for one day one day he went into rehab and everyone was like oh my god what's happened to our prince he can't do this um and again that adds to his whole rogue image as well uh prince anne she got divorced and then she married i believe she remarried to some guy outside of royalty and i think he he worked perhaps like within the royals you know some employment of the royals and they were very against that and um, but she did that and of course of course we have the whole scandal with prince andrew and epstein um which has been heavily covered and heavily criticized and i suppose sanctioned by the royal family in some sense but not really um what did they end up doing? Like just take him off like royal duties or something and but pay for him to like not have to go to trial. A ridiculous waste of money. Um Megan and Harry's marriage, like you say, they're with Harry marrying outside of royalty, um, and marrying an actress, a celebrity, or you know, similar to like you said, Wallace Simpson, he was a socialite, could be a similar sort of thing. Um and I don't know if Megan had been married. Did you say Megan had been married beforehand as well? No. Yes. Yes. Uh, so there's that on top. And again, if there, the royal family have been accused of racism um, around Meghan Markle. Um, so there's that whole issue as well. And then them deciding to leave the royal family, and not only leave the royal family, but like do do it in a way where they had a lot of press coverage and a very access all interview with Oprah Winfrey, which harks back to Diana's interview with the BBC. Um, so they did not decide to go quietly. Um, and as well, you have the whole thing about the royal family and climate change. You know, they use private jets for a lot of their um, events and stuff. And there's been a lot of issues, especially around Prince Charles. Um, you know, they're supposed to advocate for climate change and for the charities that they um, support. But I don't know if they're necessarily that um, green themselves. Um, and then just the whole issue of money and the cost of their events, the cost of their celebrations, and of course, the cost of their renovations. Can't quite recall the numbers, but it's something extortionate that they paid like last year to like renovate like two rooms or something in Buckingham Palace, and then that they, some other royals have used for the residence that they live in. Um, so there's been a lot of late, and you just look at all of this and you're like, it's, it's not good for us looking at like should we have the royal family but also it doesn't even seem like it's a nice thing for the royal family themselves to be in you know you forget even when you think of the royal family you still have to think that these are people and individuals and when you say abolish the monarchy you know it, in a weird way it might help them perhaps as well because i can't think it'd be nice to 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 live by the rules that they live by 
day by day. Yes, they have money. Yes, they're privileged. But doesn't always mean that they're necessarily comfortable or happy to live themselves. And that's, of course, what Meghan and Harry have hinted to when they did their interview, that they're ruled by a lot of um, traditions when it comes to um, being part of a working royal um, family. So there's a lot of issues there. So on the back of that, I just wanted to have a look at like public opinion on the royal family and look at like some polls of popularity. Um, and it's interesting when you look at them because as you can guess, like a lot of times the popularity for the royal family soars or peaks when they've had such events and celebrations like jubilees, weddings, births, etc. which you can imagine that they would because that's when we're sort of like asked to help celebrate the royal family. So the Daily Mail, sur the Daily Mail did a survey in 2022 um and they looked at like who were the most like popular sort of royals um and andrew of course um languishes at the bottom of that list and harry and megan step since they stepped down as senior royals in march 2020 they've both um tumbled in popularity since the previous year which would be 2021 um However, recent scandals seem to have taken their toll as well, like the ones I've just kind of mentioned, or the more recent ones out of them. Uh, more than a fifth, so 22% of people thought it would be better for Britain if the monarchy was abolished, a rise from 15% in March 2018. Almost a third, 31% of those aged 18 to 34 said it would be better if the institution was done away with, a rise in this age group from 23% last March, that was March 2021. Um, uh, the figures for those aged 55 to 77 was 13%, so they may, they remain unchanged. Um, it seems that they're still off, like uh, generally, they, that age range um, might never really differ on their opinions of the royal family. Um, there was also a YouGov poll in 2022 uh, which stated that Elizabeth II to so the Queen holds positive net favourability across all age groups, including the youngest adults, who typically would be the least likely to want the UK to remain a monarchy, would want to abolish the monarchy. So interesting that she does, the Queen doesn't really dip in um, popularity. Harry now holds a net score of minus 26 a month among the British public compared to minus 25 from the previous survey on the 16th to 17th of March 2021. Now, um, just one in three, 32% see Harry in a positive light compared to over half, 58%, who think of him negatively. Prince Andrew, of course, remains the most disliked royal over overall with a net score of minus 80 I mean, 5% of the public see him positively. I mean, who's voted to see him positively? I don't understand that. Well, 85% view him negatively. And then six in 10 Britons, 62%, think Britain should continue to have a monarchy in the future with only 22% saying the country should move to having an elected head of state, like I was kind of saying before, um, which would be the natural um, replacement for the monarchy, which is interesting because that's way higher than I would have previously thought. And I know there's tons of these polls and studies, but I wanted to look at the YouGov one because typically like they're a younger audience and I would have thought the younger audience, like the Daily Mail one had previously said, um, 
would be in favour of abolishing the monarchy. So it's interesting that 62% of the people that they studied would say uh, that Britain should continue to have a monarchy, which is quite interesting. Um, I don't know what you think of that. Would you agree that you would have assumed that they would want to get rid of the monarchy? Um, no, to be honest. Would you not? Okay. Why? No. Mm, because I think when people, if people were like, like, I don't know, they were right there at like the ballot box, right, having to sign yes, no, abolish the monarchy. I think a lot of people would hesitate and go, oh, well, it's worked so far, I may as well just keep them. Yeah, yeah. And to me, those polls don't really say that, like, people, I think a lot of people are probably unhappy with the monarchy and they're like, you know, maybe there needs to be changes, but when it comes down to it, they're probably like, ah, oh, well, better just keep them, you know, stick with what you know, sort of thing. Well, that's, that's, yeah. That's interesting because I also think, like, maybe that age group might be influenced by the decisions of, say, Brexit, because, like you say, that was maybe a decision that was a lot of change. And they've maybe looked at what's happened with that and been like, well, that's not done anything positive for this country. So another, like, monumental change like that in, in, in that to get rid of the monarchy might not help us. And if people are also struggling with their identity at the moment, I don't know if a lot of people would be like, yeah, I really want to get rid of the monarchy. You know, the only thing that we have that keeps us feeling happy about being British, perhaps, perhaps not, but you know, it may be a bit too much for people. So I agree. Um, maybe not a lot of people, they can talk the talk, but maybe wouldn't want to actually uh, get away, do away with the monarchy when it comes down to it. So, Finally, just before we finish, I just wanted to, oh God, I've got a lot. Uh, uh, I'll try and sum this up. I just want to have a look at whether or not we need the monarchy, are the monarchy relevant anymore, and how much do they really cost the UK, um, and could we really afford to, to live without the monarchy? Forbes did a really interesting sort of like deep dive into the monarchy um, and the firm uh, which is basically the monarchy PLC. So it's the nickname given to the senior members of the royal family. So obviously Forbes is American, so this is all in dollars, and I wish I'd converted it, but I haven't. But I'll still give you an idea of profits and money and everything like that. So they stated that a 20... that the uh, firm is a $28 billion empire that pumps hundreds of millions of pounds into the United Kingdom's economy every single year. Three years ago, Brand Finance, a UK brand valuation firm, estimated the firm's contributions to the media industry at nearly $70 million, which you can understand because, like I say, the royal family and the media and press, are, their relationship is very interlinked and they do a lot for one another, a lot of negative, but they do a lot for one another. Um, who gets to be part of the firm and reap the rewards has become a point of great contention over the years. So obviously following from Harry and Meghan's departure from official duties, the number of full-time royals has winnowed down to eight. So that being, aiding Her Majesty as members of the firm are an elite group of seven royals. There's Prince Charles, who's next in line for the crown, his wife Camilla, the Duchess of Cornwall, then there's Prince William, who's second in line to the throne, and his wife, Kate, who's the Duchess of Cambridge. Then there's Princess Anne, who's the Queen's daughter, and Prince Edward, the Queen's youngest son, and his wife, Sophie, the Countess of Wessex. So they're the only people, apparently, that reap the benefits from the firm. Any money it makes, they're the only seven people that get the money from that. Um, 
so as you've stated before and as everybody states the impact of the royal family the impact the royal family has on the uk economy is mostly through um tourism um there are also like many other like financial benefits such as free media cover coverage in britain which was an estimated 400 million dollars in 2017 um they estimated that a royal warrant can boost the holder's revenue by as much as 10%. The economic advantages for companies and institutions in the royal family's orbit far exceed the $550 million um, cost associated with the family's massive operating expenses. So if you have a business that's associated or a charity or whatever it's associated with the royal family, you know, the it can boost your revenue by 10%, which should make like it should mean that you earn more than it costs to run the royal family, if that makes sense. So the profit outweighs the cost. Um, yeah, so uh, the Crown Estate, which is the institution that oversees the assets of the monarchy, also employs an additional 450 people, including a board of directors that make the financial decisions for the monarchy. The Crown holds, but cannot sell, nearly $28 billion in assets through the Crown Estate, which is estimated $19.5 billion, Buckingham Palace estimated at $4.9 billion, the Duchy of Cornwall, which is estimated at $1.3 billion, the Duchy of Lancaster, $748 million, Kensington Palace at $630 million, and the Crown Estate Scotland at $592 million. Forbes also estimates that Queen Elizabeth has another $500 million in personal assets. So that's all the assets that the Crown Estate holds, and it's I can't do that math, but it's like astronomical, <laughs> like all of that together. Um, in the fiscal year ending March 31st, 2020, the Crown Estate pulled in more than $700 million with more than $475 million in profit. The royal family receives 25% of the Crown Estate income, which is known as the sovereign grant, and that comes from... Um, that comes from the government, I believe, the sovereign grant. The remaining 75% goes to the British government. So they are in a certain amount, 75% of that then goes to the British Treasury, which I assume is just like goes back into the government so they can do whatever they want with it, I assume. Um, the latest sovereign grant when this report was released um, by the Royals was roughly $120 million. And this is used solely for official expenses which include payroll security travel housekeeping maintenance costs and it expenses the private expenses of the queen and her extended family are also supported by another allowance through the duchy of lancaster called the privy purse um and it's basically the duchy of lancaster and the duchy of cornwall are basically estates and they're given to certain members of the royal family and that's how they make their money so the duchy of lancaster reported a net profit of 30 million dollars and they get to like keep that in the oh i've already read that out. sorry so the duchy of cornwall is a well-managed private estate which was established by edward III in 1937 this is where if you've ever wondered this is where charles gets his money from so charles gets an income from the duchy of cornwall in addition to what he already receives from the sovereign grant the duchy was founded in the 14th century um, by edward iii to keep his firstborn son occupied 
and flush, so to give him money as well, while waiting to be king. Nowadays, the duchy has a staff of 150 managing a portfolio of more than 130,000 acres of property across southwest England, worth nearly $1.3 billion. So by renting out property to retailers, farmers, residents, the duchy brought in more than 50 billion um, million. Oh, my God, sorry. 50 million dollars in revenue last year, um, 30 million of which went to the Prince of Wales and his descendants to support their respective staff and operations, um, which is more lucrative than the sovereign grant. So by them having those estates, they actually like earn more money than they would from the sovereign grant, which, like I said, the sovereign grant is basically that tax, which everybody talks about, like, oh, we give them loads and loads in tax. That's basically the sovereign grant. Um, so they actually earn more of their money from the estates that they run and manage and rent out of or whatever they do with those estates, which are theirs. They're nothing to do with the government. They earn apparently more money from that than they do from the sovereign grant. And finally, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, they don't receive any money from anything. Well, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge don't receive any money from their influence. However, they do get an annual income from the Duchy of Cornwall, which would be the estate, the Cornwall estate that he gets, um, to cover his family's private expenses. In the fiscal year ending March 2020, the prince received a portion of nearly $8 million, which he had to share with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle before they announced they were stepping away from royal duties. And then they also received a certain amount of money each from Diana after she died. So that's basically where they get their money from. I'm not sure how much they get from the sovereign grant, but I can't imagine it would be any more than what they get from their private estate, which is the Duchy of Cornwall. So to go a little bit more into money, just in case you're getting confused about Sovereign Grant, the duchies and all of that, I'll just read a few more um, sources about the royal's income and outgoings and all that jazz. So the British Heritage magazine, they say a Sovereign Grant report when this article came out, which I assume was in like 2020, showed that the royal household received seven million pounds from the royal collection trust in 2018 which with total royal expenses from the family coming in at 67 million pounds accounts for the sovereign grant which funds the queen and her household's official expenses show the monarchy cost the taxpayer 67 million pounds during 2018 to 2019 an increase of almost 20 million pounds in the previous from the previous financial year a large amount of the rise was due to work updating the decades old services at buckingham palace and maintaining the occupied royal palaces these are the renovations that i was talking about that have been quite controversial and that why are we paying for these renovations on because renovations on harry and Meghan's new home at frogmore cottage you know when they were part of the royals were planned to come in at over three million pound. The core sovereign grant, which helps fund the work of the Queen and her household and pays for other activities like royal travel, increased by 3.6 million. So it ended up being about 49.3 million pounds. And they say that this increase may be explained by the increase in visitors to Windsor Castle. In 2017-2018, 1.48 million people visited Windsor Castle. 
they say that the increase in visitors could be due to a number of factors, including increased interest following the royal wedding and increase in inbound tourism due to the wheat pound and the hot summer. But I don't understand how, just if more people like went to the castle, I don't understand why we'd then give them more money. Like, I, that doesn't make any sense to me, unless I don't just don't understand that. But They'll I feel like... Because more people are visiting it. Because yeah, it's more popular. Yeah, but then and then uh, if more people are visiting, then you've got more foot foot tread, and it'll get worn. It's an old building, so yeah, I suppose, I suppose. Okay, that that I suppose justifies justifies it. But I'm always like, always reminds me of that bit in the office when um, Oscar's explaining to Michael about the surplus. I'm just like, why yeah. would you tell them that, like? Like you've got a surplus because it's like then they would give you. They think that's how much it it means to like run it. I, I don't know. Like I just thought that if they're doing it on a certain budget and they're still bringing in people, then they would they wouldn't need more money because they're clearly running it okay on what they have. But that makes sense if it's the renovations and it's the footfall and stuff that's making the palace. Um, they need to upkeep the pal the the palace and the castle. So I, I get that. Let's just sort of like go over the money and then just see where we settle on whether like the royal family like it costs us more to have the royal family or would cost us more to get rid of the royal family so there was a good video I saw it was in it was from 2011 which explained like the royal family um, and the cost of the royal family so I'm just going to go over some of the points that they made because it's quite good to put it into perspective it sort of like breaks all of what I've just sort of said down because it's quite jargony so Bearing in mind this was 2011, um, it was estimated that it costs £40 million a year to run the royal family, which is about 65 pence per person per year of tax money going to the royal family. The reason the royals get tax money starts with King George, who was having trouble paying his bills and he, then he like racked up loads of debt. And while he did own huge tracts of land, the profit from their rent was too small to cover his expenses. So he offered a deal to Parliament. For the rest of his life, he would surrender the profits from the rents on his land in exchange for getting a fixed annual salary and having his debts removed. So it's kind of like, you know, they could they could take whatever they... Okay, I'm not even going to try to explain it because I can't, so I'll just carry on. <laughs> So Parliament then like took him up on the deal, um, guessing that the profits from the rents would pay off long term. Um, and to sort of like look how well Parliament sort of did, you kind of like have to like compare it with like the present day and compare their profits and losses um, by using like £10 to say represent £10 million. So the cost to maintain the royal family today is £40 million per year. But the revenue paid to the UK from the royals, from the royal lands, is 200 million. 200 million in revenue, subtract 40 million in salary cost, equals 160 million pounds in profit. So the United Kingdom earns 160 million pounds in profits every single year from the royal family. So then you might be thinking, oh, why do we need to pay the royal family? Then why don't we just keep the revenue that they have? You know, the revenue that they make, why don't we just keep that? And then we'll get all of the money. We'll get like an even bigger profit. We'll get 100% of the profit. But that's because, like I said earlier, you know, like the duchy of, the, of Lancaster and the duchy of Cornwall, it's their land. So 
you know, when King George made this this deal, he wasn't just going to be like, oh, I'm going to give up everything. Um, he only gave up the profits. He wasn't going to give up his land. He wasn't going to sign that over. He just agreed that he would give a certain amount of his profits to them so that then they would give him a certain money, amount of money like back, if that makes sense, like a, like a salary, like I said earlier. Um, so King George... The third, he voluntarily turned over the profits from his land to the United Kingdom. Um, so if the government stopped paying the royal families living and state expenses, then the royals would be forced to take back the profits from their land. And then that means our taxes would go up and not down. So it's not just people think, oh, if we don't put money into the royal family, then our taxes would go down, but they wouldn't they would effectively go up because the government would be short of about 160 million pounds in profit because we're not getting the, their private profit. Because the royals, like that's their land. So like they would just keep their land. They would just keep all the profit from their land and they wouldn't give it back to the um, royal. They wouldn't get put it back into the government. Um, you know, even the money that they make from tourism. If people came, it'd be like right now, you know, when you go to these private properties, you know, these stately homes and stuff, if they are not owned by some scheme like, I don't know, Historic Scotland or National Trust or whatever, you know, who maybe take a cut off that, if it's just theirs and they charge for it, they will take the money from that. So the royal family would effectively take the money that they, all the money that we say we get from tourism from them, they would keep and they would get the profit from it. You know, we're not taught when we talk about get rid of the monarchy, we're not talking about killing the monarchy. The monarchy would still exist. They would still have their their land, but they would just it would all be private and they would all take they would they would just have the money from it. Um so you know, they give us a lot in, in tourism and um like they they give us a certain amount of those profits, like we say us, like the government, which I don't really understand maths, but like effectively, like sort of like brings our like taxes down, if that makes sense, because they're getting some of the money that would maybe ask from us. They're getting that from the royal family. And, and in a way, it's like the royal families are kind of like paying some of our tax for us, if that makes sense. Um, I don't know if that does make sense. So, yeah. Um, Obviously, when you come, like I've mentioned, when you come to talk about the royal family, you cannot escape the whole tourism. We cannot do without the royals, tourism. And it is in a mute point, like they do bring a lot of revenue um, in tourism. Um, so the figure sort of like put on tourism is that they bring about normally around um million a million pounds um or something to that value um of tourism um for the country but it's quite difficult to really like measure that number um, and sadly I, I don't have it but you know you could make the argument that um like they don't necessarily need to be living in these buildings or or to be present um for it to thrive if that makes sense you know um for example, 
you know, you have places like the, you have the Palace of Versailles in France, right? And, you know, they've not had a royal family live in there for years, for over like 200 years. And they still have, they still have like a ridiculous amount of visitors. Pre-pandemic, they had 7.7 million visitors, which vastly overshadows Buckingham Palace's visitor numbers, and they're not present. So it's not like we need to have a living monarchy um, to make sure these things are um, profitable. Um, but again, I don't know if we get the money from that. I don't know it because these are the Queen's buildings, and and they're her. It's her land. So I don't know whether even if they were alive or not there, I don't know if we. I don't know if we'd get the money from that. Would her dynasty, her family, not just make? Get profits from tourism. There's also like econom other economic benefits attached to the royals, um, which include benefits for uh, products and services and businesses. Um, it includes a £134 million boost to British products featuring the royal warrant. Um, the idea that British products are more valuable or premium. Um, and then, of course, you've got the value to British or, well, not really British, but like fa the fashion industry, you know, if your clothes or whatever are worn by Kate, Charlotte, George, Meghan, maybe not Meghan anymore, I don't know, like any royals, then, you know, you've, you, you're going to like make more money by having them wear your stuff, which in a sense, I guess, is a glorified celebrity. And it's basically an influencer at this stage. But still, they do, they'll, they'll make a lot of money that way. And it'll be, a, and it'll be a big way for people to sell their products. Uh, sum up, um, the biggest um, economic benefit, like I've said before, is the Crown Estate. And it's the the income from that, which we benefit a lot from in the UK, because the Crown Estate is basically one of the country's biggest property managers, um, handling property worth about £25 billion, with an annual estimated revenue of like £1.9 um, of this total, they had a net income of £325 million in 2018, 75 of which went to the UK Treasury and 25% to the monarchy, which means that some, what, £247 million were sent to the Treasury by the Crown Estate in 2018. And I, you know, when it goes to the Treasury, it's going back into the government to do whatever they do with, like I said previously. Um, which is a lot of money, um, considerably more than the sovereign grant and the cost of security and the cost of like running the state, the cost of uh, payroll, everything like that. So it means like in theory, in theory, like I said before, if the UK did decide to stop paying the monarch's expenses and become a republic, meaning like we're no longer a monarch, we're no longer regal, um, it would mean that although the Windsors, because that's what we have at the moment, would no longer be royal in a sense that we know them now, they would still be a really, really wealthy family who could in theory, like I said, just take back their land, keep all the profits and not put any of that money back into the economy so they would still be this these people that we hate you know that were like 
oh, they're just these really privileged rich people that have loads of money and they're not like, and why do we pay for them? When in reality, we don't actually pay that much to have them. What we pay in, we get a lot more back from. It's just, we don't, you know, it doesn't come to you. It doesn't come to me. I don't get a check every like, month from the royal family being like, thanks for investing this. We've given you this back for you putting this certain amount into us. I don't get that, but it goes back into the treasury. It goes back into the government to do whatever they're supposed to do to fund public services, to fund whatever. Um, so, you know, you can kind of see the argument that the royals perhaps contribute more to the British economy than they cost. I don't know if you agree with that. Some of those numbers might, you might need to look more into those numbers, but as a brief sort of like overview of it, I feel like the royals are way more like beneficial than I've given them credit for. I don't know. I was surprised when I sort of like read all this because I was like, anytime I make an argument about the royals, it comes down to we pay for the royals. <laughs> they cost us this. And I'm like, I've never had figures. I've never known what the breakdown is of it. I don't know the, the financial benefits to us. And I'm like, I still have issues with the royal family and I still don't know if like we would really really be totally worse off without them but I feel like I'm coming around to the fact that there's a lot more benefits to them than there are negatives. I don't know what you think. Um, yeah, I'm kind of with you that, like, I've never really taken the time to properly look at the figures and work it out and sort of see where the money's coming from, where it's going and all of that. And I think from what you've said, to be honest, a lot of it comes down to, like, maybe, if I'm understanding it rightly, less so that it's a it's the royals that are the problem and more that we would I say we got rid of them I suppose or you know even now just having them sort of have to trust that the government are using the money that they bring in rightly towards public services um but you know they they're doing they're they're given the money or you know um, you know in some way to the government so like I suppose if we feel that the royals aren't paying their way or they aren't you know, worth it, then maybe it's the fact that the government aren't are they yeah. are they utilizing this this big pot of money basically that they have up in this yes. you know palace sort of thing. Um but also and I'm not gonna be able to articulate this right so yeah let's try. Um so I sort of feel that is it not really, in a way, though, just like this never-ending cycle thing? It's a bit like, what's that phrase where it's like, wait a minute, I need to get it. What's the up? Apparently it's got a name, but I won't pronounce it because it's Greek. <laughs> um, but you know what it says? Um, it's the snake or the serpent eating its own tail. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. what I sort of feel like the royal family is when you were talking, because it's like... Oh, okay, let me try and get this out. Right. So it's like 
They own this big bit of land, right? Let's just say they own this stately home, right? Yes. I don't know if that happens. Let's just say they do, right? And then they get the people and they, they come from the UK or whatever, right? Come visit it. They pay to visit. And then the royal family goes, right, because you've been on those grounds. That grass is getting a bit worn and the walls are a bit peely-wally or whatever. So they like they, they pay in money. They're like, right, we need to use that money. We need money now to fix this building because people are using the building. And then the cycle goes on and on and on. And I'm like, but if we just stopped it, we just cut it, right? If we just cut the head or the tail, what are you going to call it, right? And then, like, we just went, actually, do you know what? Don't want to visit that ground anymore. Don't, don't want to go see it. If the royal family didn't exist, right? They, they were just, well, I know, like you say, they'll still exist as a family. They'll still have their land, right? But we take them away as like this institution, this this royal figurehead and whatever, right? They're just a really wealthy family. And they take their land and they make it private and whatever. And if everybody consciously decided, if we decided as a nation that we were like, we don't want the royal family, abolish them. And then we decided, right, okay, we're not going to have anything to do with them. We don't want to go visit this, this big stately home. We don't want to pay to visit it, right? So people don't do it. But won't their money go away? Because we decided not to pay into this tourism. And then, no, well, am I getting that wrong? I no, know. it would. They would. They would. They would run a huge risk. I think because they would no longer be the British monarchy, and I think that's what sells them. They would become just like another wealthy family, and if you were interested in that, then yeah, you'd want to go see them. But they would eventually, I think, run out of money because. It perhaps worked way back in, what was it, King George or King Richard or something when he decided to do this his way, because he was still the king. He just decided that if he ever didn't make enough money, he was always going to get another income stream. So like you say, if people decided not to like, if he, if he was paying loads out and then was like, oh, I'm not actually making the money from my land. So his would be rent like you're talking about, it would be footfall. It would be tourism in today's sort of world. So if people decided back in his day, oh, we're not going to pay the rent, we're not going to buy from you, or we're just not paying up, then he'd be like, oh, damn, I have no money. So then he'd be like, where'd I get my money from? Oh, well, at least I've got my money coming in from the government. That's fine. Like a benefit, right? <laughs> so he's still got income. So then the royal family in today's world, rather than rent, there to be footfall, if they decided, oh, I'm not getting any tourism. I'm not getting any money from them coming in. Oh, I've got no money. Oh, actually, I'm abolished from the from the government. Well, I've not got. I'm not getting my government money. I'm not giving my handouts, but my salary. I've got no money. Great. <laughs> like then they're done. They're finished. And I think they would only get their money. They would only get their footfall from being the British monarchy. So yeah, it's like you said. They go hand in hand. Um. Hmm. So I still feel in that sense, it's like, ultimately, the benefit of the royal family is the royal family. Yeah, but then the royal family, you know when they say working royals, they are literally working royals. Like, their job is to be a celebrity. Their job is to sell the UK. Their job is to sell Britishness. Their job is to sell British history. Doesn't that mean, though, right? That's their job. Sorry, but I know when you first asked me about the royal family and you were like, you like them do not and my first thought it always says it's money right Mm -hmm. but now I sort of think that 
maybe people's, I don't know, probably change my mind here, but you just sort of brought it up to me, that, I don't know, like, do you not think that Britain, right, you know how, like, George Orwell back in the 30s was saying that they're the most, that Britain is the most class-ridden country mm-hmm. under the sun, right? And I'd say that Britain is still quite class-driven, right, especially maybe in, like, places like London and England and whatever right you know mm-hmm. you've still got this very this notion of a really upper class like a lot of our government is from like Eton and then you've got like the royal family and then you've got like our lower classes and stuff like that right? you've got the north-south divide all of that going on do you not think right as so long as the royal family are in power Britain will never change that yeah because that's the that's the idea that they're but that's t- what they're selling yeah that's they're selling they're, upper classness they're selling the class selling. yeah so I think the British, the British royal family, or the, the monarchy, is, is right now is just, they're just influencers in a way. <laughs> like, the, it's just, it just works the same way you do with any job, right? So in your job, like, you get paid a salary, and you might be like, oh, because this is what I look at, I'm like, oh, royal family, why are they getting money from the government? But then it's the same if you look, if you went to your employment, why are you paying me? why are you paying me to, to do this like I don't get it like I'm not giving you any money back but you are because you're working for them and you're making the company money by doing what you do well you should be and that's what the royal family are doing whilst they get money from they get money from the government to help the government make more money which is what we do and you in your job you get paid say you work for the council right you get paid from the council to help the council make more money, which is what the royal family does. Mm, I suppose but so. like you say, but what they're selling and what they're getting paid to do is to sell class and is to sell yeah. estab- the establishment and is to sell the um, like traditionalism. So really, I think the question is whether, like you say, if you're talking about whether you like the royal family, it's like, do you like what the royal family sells? Mm-hmm. It's the firm. That's why it, it's great when you should, you should just continue to talk about the monarchy as the firm because know, they are I'm, a business. They're a business. And that's why, yeah, exactly. And that's why I say that like a lot of the talk now, I think about the royal family um, is about privilege and class and yeah. wealth and inherited wealth Um and fairness, really, and I think a because, lot of people just see the royal family as being unfair. You know, whether yeah. you like whether you like the individual queen or you like mm-hmm. Kate or William or whatever, it's do you think it's fair that this chosen family, as you like, is sitting up here with all this wealth and power and whatever? Exactly. But then, but then also, I don't want to go into it now. But like, you know, then then it's whether you what you've just been talking about, whether whether people see what they do as being, you know, really hard work, because some people will say, well, they are working hard, you know, they are doing what they need to do to earn whatever they earn and to be in position that in because it'll probably take a lot on them. People would argue, you know, mentally or even, you know, like they don't have they, they don't have privacy and all that sort of stuff. But other people might look at it more like, well, you know, when you look at like hard work and like physical sort of labor, if you like, are they really doing that much? Oh, I agree. I agree. And that's what I mean. It just comes down to you whether you believe in what they, their business, whether you believe in what they sell and how they run and how they work. Um, and again, it just shows that they're a business and that them changing their name. It's like rebranding. Like, oh, 
if I mean, doesn't make any sense. It's got these associations. Let's rebrand. Let's rebrand to the Windsors. They pick and choose who should be involved. It just run like a business because it is a business. And although it's hard work and you might not agree with the work, then fine. There's a lot of companies out there who I don't agree with, their ethos, their mentality, and I won't buy from them. Or a lot of people will make conscious choices that they will not buy from other companies that they don't agree with. But we have no choice in stopping buying from the royal family. We have to pay them in effectively buying from them, if that makes sense. So maybe it's not like how much money we give them. It's do I want to? Because well, yeah, if, we, choice, yeah, if we keep paying for them, they will still exist because that's our way to show them that we still agree with them. So it might not be how, yeah, it could be 65 pence, right, per year, per tax person or whatever that we pay. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it's effectively when they get that money, it's saying to them, we still want you to exist. We still believe in you. And people might not, but they're forced to pay it. So, yeah. Interesting. I think I'm still not agreeing with the royal family, but I'm a, in, a, in a different mindset about what I agree with and what I don't agree with and why I agree with it, if that makes sense, or don't agree with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. I think I'm less like, let's just say that they cost loads and then that's like my argument. It's more yeah. that I'm like, there's a lot to it. And I think you're kind of right that maybe the, maybe the biggest problem with the royal family is just that they are sort of there through privilege or um you know they're not there because we might see that they've earned it and it's just the idea about choice and fairness really I would say is what I've sort of come away from it yeah sort of absolutely and I don't know I don't think I would ever be on the like I wouldn't call myself a Republican. I'm not. I'm not like you know staunchly like. Oh my God, I want rid of the monarchy now. But I, I don't know. I, I I think it's just. I think what really bothers me about the royal family more so than anything else is probably just like the sort of pomp and ceremony ceremony around it and the sort of like, oh my God, let's all just fall at like you know these people's feet and it's like why yeah they're not I really know. any better than us and it's like so they've, i think they've willingly that. signed over like i like i was saying when i was sort of like going to the history of it they willingly signed over their their rights their their sort of like rights to be royalty if that makes sense they signed that over to parliament they gave up the power to it so it's like so you can't have it both ways you can't then say i'm this really important person follow me because i'm a royalist and i'm i'm a royal and i'm the monarchy when it's like yeah, but you signed over all your actual rights and power of being the monarchy, so you're just a shadow of what the monarchy is at the moment. You represent a past that no longer exists, that you willingly got rid of. So, um, yeah, very interesting. So, and I think that's us. And I believe it's your turn next week, Megan. Hmm. Can't tell you what that will be on. <laughs> Never can. But I thought this was a good, good discussion. I liked it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed it. Anyone that's listening. <laughs> yeah, or one listener or something. Like <laughs> but thank you anyway if you are listening. Thank you. We do appreciate it. So.
Thanks, guys. See you next time. See you next week. Bye. This podcast was written and recorded by Megan and Claire and hosted on Anchor. Music was taken from Pixabay.